electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures are solidly red as the COVID spikes in Europe and the U.S. erode sentiment. The finger pointing has begun as to why pre-election stimulus failed. Q3 earnings, uh, for the most part, are the bright spot today. Our roadmap begins with COVID cases surging and stocks set to tumble at the open. Investors do fear an increase in infections could halt the uh, recovering economy. Plus, of course, we continue to watch earnings. In fact, this morning, the CEOs of both Boeing and GE will join us for interviews. And uh, as uh, Andrew was just talking about with uh, Mr. Lonsdale. Big Tech is going to testify this morning. The CEOs of Facebook, Alphabet, and Twitter will face questions from a Senate committee this morning. And we, of course, will bring that to you. Carl. Hey, uh, guys, uh, a lot of uh, jitters, Jim, this morning as to what Macron may say uh, later on tonight, European time. Your point largely on social media this morning has been it's th- this pre-market weakness is not about the earnings themselves. Right. I mean, look, we would be in a stay in place order if we adopt what Merkel's talking about. Now, we've never been on the same page as Merkel since President Trump came in. She's obviously been far more serious. Uh, I, I'm sure I, I would call it rigorous about hygiene and about masks, and about social distancing than our country is. Uh, our country just is uh, not not the way of Germany. But I would say that when you see uh, Chicago close uh, the all the dining places and restaurants and then you start thinking about travel and leisure and hospitality, it then bleeds into Boeing and we have this morning. And I think that it's impossible to think about Boeing without thinking of, well, once you get there, where can you go? And I do think that that's what we face, which is there's no place to go. Might as well stay at home. But no one's paying us to stay at home like they did back in March. Now we're staying at home and we got nothing to do other than play uh, Take-Two Interactive and the Sony PlayStation. Whoops, Sony PlayStation numbers, I didn't like that much. So that's where we are. Not great. Not great. Uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm listening to you. Uh, the market's not great either. It's been a rough week uh, thus far, at least, Jim. Um, you know, the question becomes, though, I mean, we've been through this before. How much is of what is coming is already reflected in stock prices at this point? Are we going to see the bifurcation of the market that we've become so accustomed to in terms of those companies that suffer from stay at home and those that benefit? Yes. I mean, I think that we go back to the five bull markets I've been talking about, which is 5G, digitization, hygiene, home renovation and cars because we need them because we uh, have to go places and we can't use public transit. And then we revert. The question is, do we revert, David, to Campbell's suit? Can we include Campbell's Soup and Coca-Cola in the list like we could in the months of uh, March and April? So the answer is after the blast zone today, uh, you usually have a stabilization tomorrow and those groups will uh, should work. But we do have the wild card of the election. But all these themes do transcend even an election. 
right. even in an election. Well, we've got the wild card of the election, and we'll continue, of course, to focus on uh, vaccines and therapeutics and every data point that we get and when we're going to hear from the Pfizer trial. We got some information yesterday during their earnings yes. call uh, and what else we get. I mean, that would certainly seem to be something else. Now, again, just getting that data or even hearing positive things, which we certainly hope and expect will be the case, doesn't mean that a vaccine is going to be widely available anytime soon, Jim. But given the potential of lockdowns in some of these countries that we're talking about, whether it's Germany or France, and what we're seeing here in terms of new, new, new highs in so many states, one would anticipate that will continue to be a focus for the market. Yeah, I mean, Carl, look, a gloomy market does not necessarily mean a market that you have to sell. Classic examples, Microsoft. That was one of the cleanest beats I've seen in a long time. But the expectations were for a very clean beat. Uh, the fact that they could have said anything they wanted in terms of uh, a prediction forecast isn't dawning on people at all. The stock did a big U-turn. I think that that's just wrong. I, I, but can I buck the market and buy it? No, the market's putting, it, putting Microsoft on sale. I do get an opportunity to buy it because it's just a remarkable quarter. And all, whether it be gaming, whether it be uh, Azure, uh, whether it be LinkedIn in a turn, whether it be Windows, which is now less than Azure. I don't know. I mean, I like Microsoft, but we have to deal with the fact that the gloom is pervasive. Uh, you don't buy gloom the first hour. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. We'll get to, to some other calls today, Jim, including one from Morgan Stanley about uh, why these phase three events, in their view, are coming along slower than expected. But as you said, earnings are a big piece of the story today. We talked a bit about Microsoft. Uh, Boeing is another one. And uh, Phil LeBeau joins us this morning with a very special guest. Hey, Phil. Hey, Carl. Let's bring in Dave Calhoun, CEO of Boeing. Uh, you guys just reported your third quarter earnings, Dave. Uh, another massive loss. Uh, more job cuts are coming. Are you more concerned now than you were, let's say, three months ago about the state of the airline industry and potential recovery over the next couple of years? Uh, good morning, Phil. Um, no, I'm, I'm still quite confident in the next couple of years. Uh, there's no question that this second wave, um, as, it, as it hits the United States and Europe, is taking a toll. And we will not finish the year, as in our airline customers will not finish the year um, in line with their early expectations. I think they all believe they'd be somewhere in that 40 to 50% of 2019 traffic um, at that, uh, as we cross the finish line this year. I suspect it'll be closer to 30 to 35%. Um, that's true both here and maybe even to a greater extent in Europe. Um, and then the uh, flip side is Asia. And Asia seems to be coming back and has almost recovered its 20, 2019 uh, schedules. Dave, you guys have announced that you're going to be cutting about another 11,000 jobs by the end of next year, essentially eliminating 18% of your workforce. If you go back to the beginning of this year, all the way through the end of next year, are you in a position yet to say, I think that's it? I think we will have right-sized the business, at least the commercial airplane business by then? Well, I'm very close to being uh, right about that. I will never uh, just draw a floor. On the other hand, um, you know, we've got to make the adjustments that we've got to make. Um, our production rates will hit their low, the same production rates that we've described previously, will hit their low at about the midpoint of next year. And so those gradual reductions as we move rates down will, will occur over that period of time. Um, I do believe that those rates are appropriate knowing everything I know and based on every latest conversation with airlines around the world. Um, so yes, I'm confident that uh, that the forecast that we are that we're handing out today is a conservative uh, forecast that we can live to. 
Um, I also believe by the end of next year, there's a chance the psychology with respect to the virus, if uh, provided a vaccine shows up somewhere over the course of next year, will be very different. And then I'm, I'm hoping that the recovery comes sooner rather than later. You have $27 billion in liquidity at the end of the third quarter. Uh, you guys have made it clear that you will pull other levers if need be. Do you expect to need to pull any more levers this year or let's say in the next six months? Well, I don't want to predict that. Um, I will say the $25 billion we raised based on the world we see ahead was, a, was a, an appropriate number and a good number. And it remains uh, 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 adequate for us to, to uh, deliver on the plans that we have ahead of us. Uh, but having said that, we will stay conservative on this front. Liquidity is the metric of the day for the travel industry and for Boeing. Um, and we have to keep our eyes squarely focused on it, stay conservative with the balance sheet, make sure we've got enough. So when the turn happens, we're ready for it and we can uh, respond to what I think will be ultimately a robust recovery. Street. First question, do you think that the max is the most important thing facing Boeing or do you think it's liquidity? No, it's always been the most important. The two are perfectly related. Um, the max uh, has has cost us a lot of money and we have had to sort of up the ante with respect to liquidity to make up for the fact that we couldn't uh, ship the world's most popular airplane. Um, we are getting very close, I believe, to the finish line with respect to certifying the max and to begin deliveries. Um, we have been patient. Our regulators around the world have worked constructively with us. And I think we're at that moment. Um, so I'm not going to predict by, by day or week, but the fourth quarter, I believe we will be in recovery mode with respect to the max. And, I, and I'm very proud of our team and I'm very proud of that airplane. It is a uh, remarkable uh, machine and, and as safe as anything, anything in the air. Mr. Kim, why is it possible uh, that people do not understand the narrative? Uh, that airplanes are safer. I mean, yesterday we had a terrific study come out of Harvard University talking about a gate-to-gate experience and how it's certainly safer than going to the grocery store, going to a restaurant. And yet, uh, and 19 people is what we understand uh, that you could argue have gotten COVID since this started in airplanes and people wear masks. Uh, they'll be testing soon. And yet I keep hearing the same thing. Who the heck would want to get on a plane? Why is that the narrative and not the correct narrative? Well, it's definitely not the correct narrative. And Jim, you've been uh, pretty well ahead of this whole subject uh, with respect to travel. Uh, it is an incredibly safe environment. Um, that in-cabin experience uh, probably as safe as, as anything, any enclosed space you, you can imagine. Uh, Boeing did its, its study. And, and remember, we designed these uh, cabins so that they are refreshed. Every two to three minutes, every, uh, all the air in a cabin is refreshed. It is run through a HEPA filter, same thing that uh, uh, filters air in an ICU. Um, it, even if you're sitting next to somebody, it's the equivalent of being seven feet away from them. And with the protocols the airlines have now uh, uh, called out and, and require with respect to masks, it's a remarkably safe environment. So the word is getting out. Uh, uh, between Boeing's study, IATA's uh, announcements, a recent study by Transcom uh, with the military uh, and now the Harvard study, they have all said precisely the same thing. It's an incredibly safe environment, as you said. Compared to a grocery store, uh, I think you'd choose the in-cabin experience. 
Dave, last week we heard from uh, Southwest Airlines and Gary Kelly. He was right here on this show uh, after they reported their Q3 earnings, or the loss of the third quarter, all the airlines reporting losses. Uh, and during the analyst call, uh, he came out, as did other executives at Southwest, and they said, look, we're interested in a smaller single-aisle airplane, whether it's the 737 MAX 7 or potentially the Airbus A220. And that has people saying, is it possible one of your longest, most loyal customers might go to Airbus. How do, you, how do you convince people that you will keep Southwest in the family? Well, I, first of all, um, I can't remember a single uh, uh, deal or competition at any airline anywhere in the world where we weren't facing a direct competitor. Um, so we're doing that again here at Southwest, and we're going to put our very best foot forward, and we're going to try to win in every way we can. And in the meantime, we're going to support Southwest, as you said, the Majority of their uh, installed fleet for a long time coming is going to be uh, uh, Boeing airplanes. We hope it stays all Boeing. Uh, we're going to compete to win. And, you know, that's all I could say, that it's in Gary's court to make those decisions. Um, we are confident we have a very competitive airplane to offer. Uh, Dave, you've got a number of airlines that have indicated they're not ready to pull the trigger, uh, but they are starting to look at the other side of the pandemic, when they want to have the freshest, most fuel-efficient fleets uh, available. When do you start to see those orders or those commitments start to come in? Are we looking at six months down the road? Do you think it might happen even sooner than that? What's your sense? Well, it, there's a psychology uh, uh, here, and I believe the vaccine is central to that psychology. And if I look forward, at least relative to our original prognosis of three to five years, the vaccine, by all accounts, seems to be way ahead of where we imagined it would be, because we guessed it would be sometime in 22 or three based on historic development cycles for vaccines. So if a vaccine comes, if a vaccine begins to be distributed uh, globally in the first half of next year, I think by the second half, we have a whole new psychology. And in light of the incredible number of retirements of airplanes that are going on as we speak, I believe that recovery will be quite robust. I can't predict the month or the day, but I do believe it will be robust. And then the challenge for, for the airplane manufacturers is going to be to respond to it. Um, the silver lining for us is we've, we've got a big inventory of airplanes. I wish we didn't, but we do. And ultimately, when that recovery comes, uh, we believe we're going to be advantaged in satisfying it. Quickly, Dave, uh, what are you most concerned about when you look at the global market right now? Is it Europe? Is it here in the U.S. and the, the coming wave of cases that many are predicting with COVID-19? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, honestly, Europe's my biggest concern. Um, and it really relates to uh, the entry protocols and quarantine um, requirements that are getting called out uh, from country to country to country. Um, of course, here in the U.S., we have a little bit of that, and, and it worries us. We want to make sure whatever happens is, is very consistent. But in Europe, the, those uh, entry protocols, I think, are going to be tougher. So we are lobbying alongside with the airlines and, and other institutions representing the travel industry to get some consistency, to make sure that testing uh, is the right level of testing, and ultimately uh, to quiet down or dampen down the number of quarantines that are required for the flying public. So Europe is a, a little more of concern to me than here in the U.S. Um, although, uh, uh, you know, when you're talking the levels we're talking, uh, uh, I'd be crazy not to say I'm concerned about all, all of it. 
Dave Calhoun. Dave, thank you very much for joining us this morning on Squawk on the Street. Uh, Carl, you heard from Dave himself. I mean, the concern is how do you manage this pandemic in terms of eventually getting people back in the air, visiting places. And Europe right now, as you guys know, with the quarantines over there, I mean, it's a mess. You talk with airline executives about Europe and none of them are optimistic right now. Uh, Phil, thank you for bringing that uh, important interview uh, to us. As you said, uh, Europe is definitely on the front burner uh, today. Our Phil LeBeau in Chicago. We'll take a break. We'll get to some of the uh, earnings movers of the morning. And that includes GE and MasterCard, UPS, Microsoft, Raytheon, the social media CEOs in front of Senate Commerce today on Section 230. We'll talk about that as well as the Dow looks to open lower by about 600 points. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Looking at some pre-market weakness today, you can see futures sharply lower as we start this Wednesday, coming off of a three-day losing streak for the Dow and markets at about three-week lows. Uh, Jim, it's not just about futures, though. Ten-year uh, yield, about a two-week low. Uh, everyone's flocking back to the dollar. Oil's down almost 6%. You know, I'm glad you mentioned oil uh, because one of the themes, and we're going to speak to GE later, one of the themes of this quarter is the rather dramatic uh, fleeing from oil, not just by investors by almost every company I deal with. Uh, these carbon neutral uh, declarations, they're real. And I think a lot of people uh, are, are, are coming to grips. A lot of portfolio managers are coming to grips with that it's not an idle thing to go carbon neutral 2030. And the way to do it is to cut out oil. And I think that oil is, I've been beating this drum that it's uninvestable. When I look at these quarters, one of the things that is the, uh, going in every single earnings report, David, every report yep. is how... They're able to get out of oil faster than others. That is not an environment where you can own an oil stock. No, it's not. Listen, you know, barring the pandemic, of course, that we have been focused on for obvious reasons these last seven months, I think we'd be talking a lot more about ESG and the mandates uh, on allocated capital that are coming along with it and its growth in importance. And to your point, Jim, it's not just lip service at this point for many of these corporations that have put out when they're going to get carbon neutral by. It does seem to be something they are potentially more committed to now. Uh, and it's very important. Uh, it shows up, obviously, there in terms of oil, but in so many other areas, whether it's diversity and inclusion, pure governance, so many different areas where corporations certainly seem to be moving uh, more quickly and more aggressively than does certainly the national government in dealing with some of these issues because they feel like it is in their best interest to do so based on what they're hearing from their shareholders, their customers, and their employees. Uh, that said, when you got uh, Germany and France starting to go, I don't know if you want to call it lockdown or whatever, and right. you've got, I mean, the, you see the 10-year bond yield at points negative. 0.63. Well, they're back. You can understand why demand may be starting to come yeah. down again, or at they, least concerns. They got the Madrid rules, which is that you can't go out. I mean, my daughter lives in, in Spain, uh, and the rule was that you you get a day that you're allowed to go out, and that's it. And that's where I think Europe is going back to, Carl. It's not an environment where you want to get on, hop on a 737 Max, go around, uh, maybe buy a Euro Pass. No, because you can't get off anywhere. 
Uh, yeah, Jim, it has nothing to do with restrictions either. It's just uh, uh, consumer decisions at this point is yeah. sort of what's driving some of the caution. Um, we'll take another break here. By the way, we mentioned GE. We're going to talk to Larry Culp about that surprise profit later on this morning. Stock's up almost 5% pre-market. Don't go away. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. We have three minutes to go before we get uh, an opening bell uh, for uh, what is going to be a volatile session, certainly one that's going to be down. Jim, uh, uh, we heard from Boeing, of course, which is a big defense contractor still as well. 30 percent. Last night you had we didn't really talk defense at all with Mr. Calhoun. But last night you had Greg Hayes on, of course, a guest we always enjoy having here as well. Uh, RTX has not performed particularly well. It's a feature on your Mad Dash. No, I mean, look, I I, had Greg Hayes on last night and he is very, very bearish on the airline business, which obviously is incredibly important. I mean, you talking about maybe not coming back by for three years, and they're furiously uh, trimming, uh, trying to get down, like, just like GE is, just like Boeing is. They're all trying to, trying to at least cut to 20% of the workforce. But what he said to me was really interesting, which was, what are you going to do? A year ago, you were going full bore. You were trying to hire everybody to meet the demand, and then suddenly the demand is full stop. And thank heavens for uh, defense. One of the things he did remind us, because we have the election, is Democrats support defense in the same way Republicans do. Uh, defense is the savior here uh, because uh, 70 billion book of business. But I think more important, we're in a strange world, David, where China is no longer just a, a considered to be in Washington an industrial rival. It, it's considered to be a, a, a country that we have to worry about in terms of uh, being an actual not Cold War. I hate to t- I don't want to say hot war because it's not believed. But, David, you know, I got to tell you, uh, under Trump, there is a belief that everybody has to be armed who's our friends. And that is the savior of that company. Yeah, it would seem to be. And obviously, as you say, China, very aggressive in the South China Sea. Unclear where that goes, but probably nowhere good. 
I, I was waiting for you to ask about the HVAC division and the elevator division. Both which, of which have which been spun off in the form of balanced Carrier years. and Otis, and both have done very well since they've been uh, since they were separated. Otis, remarkable quarter, not talked about nearly enough. I mean, it was just fantastic, even versus a, a, a summer a session where they were talking about maybe not doing as well. There's a lot of companies that are doing well, and they're all being, uh, I'd say, blotted out by by a, as a stay at home. And I think that when you look at what Raytheon has to do with Boeing uh, and when you look at what GE has to do and you look at what we'll find out later Honeywell has to do, it's really ugly. But they don't have to worry, see, because the stimulus, all those people will be taken care of. Right? Yeah, right. No, it's coming. Um, it's coming. Oh, and you, yeah. I, I think the speaker's mm. talking, David, to the Secretary of Treasury. Sure she is. They're talking. They're, they're saying talking. hi. They're saying happy Halloween. I think they just, they're, they're in some sort of Groundhog Day scenario, yeah. Carl. Well, terrific. Why don't we go commercial free? It's so bad. Hey, I think we might just do that, guys, uh, because uh, obviously market's going to be uh, volatile, as David said, just open. There's a look at breadth, which is, sort of reminds you how Monday opened. By the way, uh, thanks to Ryan Detrick over at LPL, statistically today, October 28th, is the best day of the year for the S&P 500. Um, I'm not sure. There's still time to turn it around, Jim. It's early. You, know, you guys were talking about. It's early, about, Carl. <laughs> it is early. It's, it's early. way early. Uh, Jim, you were talking about sort of the migration away from oil and gas and, and Greg Hayes on your show last uh, last night. I mean, Raytheon did say and Hayes said uh, on the call potential for a hydrogen powered jetliner uh, granted by 2035. But that's an area where they're going to start investing in now. I am so glad you mentioned hydrogen because we also when we when we speak to Larry Culp, they're making a major push in a different kind of hydrogen, but still in power plant. Hydrogen's become a very big theme, and a lot of that plug power is 35,000 vehicles that are now used. How do you get to carbon neutral if you're Walmart, if you're Amazon? It's hydrogen. Uh, the hydrogen rush, this is green hydrogen, is going to be the next big thing. Obviously, we're in the bridge fuel, uh, 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 Nat Gas moment. But again, these things happen far faster than people realize. Far faster. And when I plug power on this week, they said, look, this is the fulcrum moment where companies are saying we need hydrogen planes we need hydrogen you get power we need hydrogen it's going to happen carl and it's a very positive story david mentioned that you know what uh if it weren't for the stay at home not able to go out to a restaurant we'd be talking esg david hydrogen is now is it really now yeah it's now like i thought automated uh automobiles would be I mean, three years ago, we were talking about it. If you're Still not try- here. If you're, try- if, you're, if you're Microsoft and you're telling your suppliers that they better get green. Yeah. Well, what do you do? They get green. They get green. And it's going to be it's, first. It's going to be long haul trucks after yeah. these forklifts. Well, well, now you're making me think of Nicole, Nicola. Well, between hydrogen and trucks. Well, they've got trucks, David, that run that go downhill like there's no like the greatest. <laughs> that the greatest, is, um, greatest, that greatest hanging greatest. in there <laughs> at the twenty dollar range. Let's move yeah. on to Microsoft, though, a, a far larger company uh, that reported earnings. Jim, I mean, the stock is down. I think there was one downgrade I saw guys as well. But generally, uh, you know, you're talking about what uh, thirty seven point two billion in revenue up twelve percent year over year gross margin dollars. Increased 15 percent. Operating income increased 25 percent. Buck 82 a share. 
That was up 32% or 30% in constant currency. Sounds pretty good to me. I think it's insane. I think that they could have said anything they wanted in terms of forecast. I think they could have talked about uh, gaming and be much better or LinkedIn be much better. There was no reason whatsoever that this stock is being punished for what was an amazing quarter. And Azure, which is, of course, their cloud business, is remarkable. Now, this is the one, if you want to know, David used to ask me the key to this market, Carl. It's this stock, because this stock has to bottom before people start buying anything else. And I really, when I go, I talk to some of these analysts who cover it, and they're all kind of amazed, but they, they were gun shy. They were gunshot because the narrative was controlled last night by people who said that is a real guide down. It's not a guide down. Saudi Nadella is just not a person who's going to come out and say, listen, all the analysts are wrong. We're going to do much better. So I find uh, the Microsoft is being the one that's the best opportunity. But wait, wait right now. Still too early. Yeah, uh, Jim, uh, we'll listen, maybe a little bit later. We have a bit of sound from Nadella last night on the call. Uh, UPS, Jim. Uh, well, let's, let's do UPS first, though. Uh, 228 beats 190. We'd seen a lot of analysts get in front of this print saying that cost cuts plus pricing power plus seasonal strength equals margin expansion. And it does look like that is going to be one of the bright spots of the morning. Well, I At have Carol Tomeo tonight. <laughs> Not anymore. And, uh, and it's one of those stories where she did say that she can't give a forecast. Uh, saying you can't give a forecast to these analysts, it's like they're, they're jackals. And can't give a forecast means we're going to do terribly. I think that's wrong. Carol Tomei uh, did give forecasts, help give forecasts at Home Depot, where she was before. So I think people are reluctant to buy the stock. Uh, I think that's a mistake. Uh, she's talking about double-digit growth. She's talking about making money on, on uh, the double-digit growth. And that's something that, that, uh, that United Parcel hasn't done. Now, the stock's ticking up because I just said something good. You stupid people who are buying it right now, don't you realize there's big of money trying to get out of it? I'm just talking to the seller. To the seller. Got it. And okay, the, yeah. the buyers are coming in. <laughs> let, the, let the stock come in. Now, I mean, my chapel trust, because I think it's really important when you, you can talk about all the good ones, let me talk about one that I was on the other side of. I actually thought that MasterCard down 50 points the last few days would find a level. But MasterCard is an international company, and there's not a lot of international travel. Got that one wrong. I do believe that can bottom, but not yet. But United Parcel and MasterCard, are, I mean, United Parcel and, and Microsoft are two that had unbelievable quarters. And, David, this market is being, the tune is being set by people who are panicking. They are panicking when Carol Tomei did not say how big the holiday season's going to be. I mean, she could have set up 20 if she wanted to, right. because if we're staying in place, David, we're not going to the stores. And that means United Parcel. It does, although, again, the stock had an enormous move this year. Well, already, Jim. Yeah, it's um, yields two and a half. And say again, yeah, yields two and a half. It had an enormous yeah. move because Carol Tomei came in, and we all know her. As well, being, and FedEx has had an incredible move yeah. also. Well, I mean, they, they are part of and parcel of the. They you, are. Just, you just moved the stock down four with your negativity. And I don't blame you. Um, that was negative? <laughs> Look at that. Uh, yeah, yeah it was negative. it's moving along with the market overall. We have an S&P that is down almost 2%, of course. And this is largely, it would seem, COVID-related. Right. Uh, we've talked about it already. Potential, uh, you know, I don't, you say lockdowns, potential restrictions right. being put in place yes. in France and Germany. France in particular with significantly rising cases. Of course, here in the U.S., we're all facing the same right. or a similar rise in cases in many states that are hitting all-time highs. Wisconsin, and hospitalizations Texas. too, Jim. Yeah. How about Florida up. where they said, come, come one, come all, indoor dining. Yeah. Indoor dining being uh, identified over and over again as the single 
uh, Harvard just the other day, the single worst place unless you seek COVID. I mean, if you're in a, if, frankly, you know, Carl, if you're in one of these trials, you got to go out to eat. Because that's where you're going to be able to yeah. test whether you I, get I, that's COVID exactly, or not. That's exactly the point out of Morgan Stanley today, Jim. Um, three weeks uh, slower than that we thought, they say, uh, in these trials, because their, their assumption is that the trial infection rates are 50% lower than the general population. You've been saying this for weeks. Yeah. I mean, you got to go out. you got to go out and about. you got to uh, expose yourself to COVID. And that's not... Look, I mean, it's not like you get it and you say, you know what, let me go to a, I hope, let me go to a jam-packed stadium and really figure out what's going to happen. I mean, no one wants to get sick or even risk getting sick. So it does take a little longer than the president won. And the president, what, identified what, David Pfizer? J&J? Yeah, J&J. You know, J&J is not, when you get the shot, they're not saying go forth and get some COVID. No, they're not. No. Hey, David, by the way, General Electric's up. You want to take that one down? Automatic data, you want to crush that one? Chubb? How about Chubb? Uh, Might no. be the other side actually, of the you know uh, I'm actually going to uh, take this opportunity to, uh, to do a story on a company that's probably going to send the shares higher. How about that? I, I don't like that. Can it's I do of, that now? Out of character. You mind if I do a, stick a little, uh, have a little favor report in here, guys? Can we do that? Um, let's oh, do it. Oh, I think I, I no, no, I'm trying it, to listen, think. Not that large a company, but it's something we've been following closely here. How about CoreLogic? And the name CoreLogic? is CoreLogic. Yeah, CoreLogic. Remember, a huge beneficiary, by the way, of the boom in the, in the housing market, mortgages. They, they provide so much information that goes into um, the lenders making decisions and so much uh, other data as well. And by the way, they have raised their uh, EBITDA forecast dramatically. But what we can tell you now, and remember, Quick timeline check here. Remember, Kanai and Senator made a bid some time ago. Then they raised to 66. They're challenging for the board. You've got a special meeting on November 17th to potentially replace the entire board. But what I can tell you now is, according to people familiar with the situation, is uh, that they are uh, engaging with. And there's a, a look at that timeline, by the way, just to get people up to speed here where we were. Uh, but the news I can share with you is CoreLogic has received what I'm told is at least potential interest uh, at uh, levels above 80 bucks a share from multiple parties. Uh, and given that, they are engaging with those parties as well. Um, they include PE firms. They include uh, others as well that may be strategic in nature. Um, we can get rid of that timeline, guys. Uh, and uh, these multiple parties are uh, interested, obviously, in buying the company. There's a look, by the way, uh, at the increase in EBITDA guidance. And if you want to try and draw some sort of a scenario that does get you into the 80s, well, it's not that hard if you apply a multiple that's anywhere near 13 times, you get there. They have raised their EBITDA guidance significantly as a result of strength in the housing market, of things that they've been doing at the company as well, management would tell you, to change the composition of their revenue base, to make it more recurring as well, uh, and so many and for so many different reasons. But uh, it does appear that they're moving into auction mode, essentially. Those are my words, certainly not those necessarily the sources that I've been talking to. But uh, they have, in fact, signed one uh, nondisclosure uh, agreement. I'm told as well that there may be others that they're signing. And again, it does appear to be multiple parties that are expressing interest based on public information. 
of bids that may come uh, above 80 bucks a share. Nothing says they'll get there. They still have the special meeting a few weeks out where potentially shareholders, and by the way, many of those holders are hedge funds and index funds at this point. Some of the large uh, long onlys and fundamental investors, so to speak, are out. T. Rowe uh, and some others ha- have left the stock at this point, but it could be beneficial, of course, to Senator, which does own as much as 15 percent uh, of the company's shares at this point. And so uh, it does appear CoreLogic is willing to fully explore these expressions of interest, take them in, try to understand exactly what they are, how they'd be financed, and whether or not they can get to a deal or not in the 80s. Unclear at this point, but that's where things stand. I would also, by the way, a company I wasn't that familiar with called CoStar Group, I am told, is amongst those that has, has expressed interest in acquiring the company. And interesting to note, its CEO in their conference call uh, said, quote, one common theme for us has been to use acquisitions to enter a new closely related real estate segment. That would seem to confirm to a certain extent right. what had been some questions there about CoStar. Uh, that was from their earnings call uh, as well on the 27th. So, uh, Jim, wanted to get that in there on CoreLogic again, a company that has benefited from, of course, very, st- very strong housing market and seemingly is now in a position to potentially hold an auction to sell itself. That's no great, comment from the company. Great call point. because obviously they're fintech real estate, which is an uh, intersection of two bull markets. Uh, Zillow, a little less than that, but that's a great report. They used to be the guys that I used to rely on to figure out in 2007, 2008 how bad housing was. So very good guys. Now, David, this is one you haven't been able to sink. Uh, I'm going to bring in Larry Kolb. Shares of General Electric jumping this morning after beating earnings estimates. And by the way, it was a legitimate beat. It was not one of those paper beats. Why don't we have CEO Larry Kolb come on right now? Larry, good to see you. Jim, David, good morning. All right, so Larry, when I go through the usual deck. What I notice is this time, it's not a discussion about how important aerospace is. You're talking about industrial, You're talking about aviation, we talk about healthcare, which seems to me to be in a course of uh, real growth. Uh, power and renewables no longer seem to be the weak sister to, this, to uh, your company. I'm wondering whether we're getting to a narrative with the layoffs that you've had to do in aerospace, where in 2021, we're going to be talking about aviation, healthcare, and power pretty much in, uh, equally. Well, Jim, I think that there's an important role for all four of our industrial segments to play at GE, and you see that today in, in the earnings release, right? $500 million of free cash flow in the third quarter, uh, better than we would have anticipated despite the, the revenue pressure. Clearly aviation-driven. We were down organically 12%, but had a really standout quarter in healthcare. And I think the turnarounds we talked about even before COVID at the beginning of the year in both power and renewables uh, are gathering momentum. We came into this year knowing that aviation was a stellar business, healthcare right behind it, and we had work to do in power and renewables. Those teams have done, I think, a, a really credible job this year on the cost side of things, driving cash better, all the while continuing to innovate, be it with our 7HA turbines at, at gas power, let alone what we're doing both in onshore and offshore wind and renewables. So plenty more work to do, but I think you see signs of traction here. Now, I, I do believe that uh, renewables had considered to be an asterisk. That's no longer the case. That healthcare, you sold the crown jewels. I now feel that that's no longer the case. Is it possible that if you get, say, uh, any sort of rebound in aerospace, that 2021 could be a very meaningful year for GE? Well, we already believe, Jim, and we've said publicly 
reiterating today that we think next year will be a positive free cash flow year for us. Positive here in the third quarter, we think we have lined aside to at least two and a half billion of free cash in the fourth quarter, but on a full year basis, we're likely to be negative. Next year, we think that turns positive in no small part because of what's happening in renewables and power, right? We've got nice volume dynamics in wind, of course, uh, but a host of legacy uh, cost and project issues that we are working our way through all the while investing in our offshore wind business. Excited about the winds with our Hollyot X uh, 13 megawatt platform. So that's a multi-year story in the making. I think we'll turn positive from a, from a free cash perspective in gas power next year, given the, uh, the very good work the team has done there. Again, not only in terms of cost reduction, but being smarter about the new business we take on, the underwriting and the attendant uh, project execution. Healthcare should continue to, uh, to be a strong performer for us. And I think we've got aviation ready for continued sequential uh, softness. But if we get any sort of recovery, uh, in 21 or, or thereafter, I think we're poised to uh, to be full beneficiaries of that uh, that change. All right. So, Larry, what would you say to people who say this is not sustainable? You took a billion of cost actions aviation year to date, uh, two billion in, in, in cash actions, uh, which basically says, you know, they're trying to cut their way to prosperity. Uh, so therefore, don't trust this rebound. Well, I think that uh, that's just plain wrong, Jim. If you look at the way we have run this business, uh, over the last two years, the way we have talked about uh, the issues from the past, the way we're working our way through them, the improvements that we're making through the, uh, the application of lean principles, really getting close to the businesses and making sure we're driving safety and quality, let alone delivery improvements for our customers, well before we talk about cost. Coupling that with GE's traditional strengths, uh, not only in technology, but in global reach, this is a company with tremendous capabilities. We are far from our full potential. And I think what people hopefully get a glimpse of today is the building momentum we have toward realizing that full potential. It's a game of inches. We've said that all along, much more work to do, but I think we, uh, we, we're demonstrating traction that bodes well for the future. We know COVID is an uncertainty, yeah. but we can't do anything about that. We're working on those things within our control. Right. Larry, it's David. Yeah, you can only control what you can. You can't control the duration or magnitude of the outbreak, unfortunately. You can only respond to it. One thing, of course, you mentioned is you've got, what, more than $2 billion of costs and $3 billion of cash actions that are what I think you said 75% complete. Um, do you need to start again? I mean, is that going mm. to be enough, given you can only control what you oh. can control? Well, David, those, those are big actions, and you're right. We're about 75% of the way through that work. We, uh, we think we'll finish most of that by the end of the year, which is part of the, uh, the visibility we have around the, uh, the two and a half, at least two and a half billion in cash we've talked about for the fourth quarter. But again, back to lean, in the spirit of continuous improvement, there is always opportunity. And while I don't think we have necessarily a restructuring effort on par with what we've done here in 2020, Completing this work gives us line of sight to additional opportunities to continue to be more efficient with where we put money, be it reducing inventories, be it the way we think about capital expenditures, all the while making sure we are investing in those things that matter most for our customers and our investors, be that new technology, be that strengthening our commercial organizations, be it the sales and marketing folks, in addition to the, uh, the field support teams that are with our customers every day. 
Well, you mentioned lean. Uh, explain to people what that actually means. Uh, you know, you, you, you said on the call it's the strongest common denominator. What does that mean? Well, I think when we talk about the transformation of GE, we're really talking about a lean transformation. And we're really just borrowing from the Toyota production system in these, uh, these fundamental principles around focusing on the customer, eliminating waste, and always getting better, continuous improvement, Kaizen. And doing that in a way that is geared toward managing the business the same way every day and doing that as close to the customer as we possibly can. I know that sounds simple. Yeah. But it's also powerful, and that is uh, very much the way we are changing the way we operate in every GE business around the world today. Yeah, I mean, you can get lean and you can be, you know, more agile and everything else, but you can also get weaker if you get too lean. How do you know when, you you know, when enough has been done? Well, I I, I don't believe that, David, to be honest. We could have a long conversation perhaps on that, but I, I think what we're really talking about is building muscle in the organization, right? To, to know when we have an opportunity to serve a customer better, to see waste in the form of, uh, of a cash expenditure that next time around we want to forego. So I think it's all about building muscle. It's not just about cut, 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 management by objective. It's very much a long-term process-oriented way to, uh, to build sustainable competitive advantage and ultimately satisfy customers and shareholders. So, Larry, uh, let's say we get a change to the White House and we get uh, Vice President Biden comes in. There's a page in your deck, page eight, talks about uh, renewable energy and power and orders. Uh, I would have to expect that there's a, a contingent in that administration that says that coal must be phased out 2024, uh, nuclear done. Uh, what can you do with renewables that would make it so that, say, the younger people who watch this show want to buy want to buy your stock. And can you make it so that it's as, as profitable gross margin as uh, the, the traditional natural gas plant? Well, Jim, in uh, in September, we talked about a new purpose for GE rising to the challenge of building a world that works. That's really part and parcel of what uh, drives us to lead in the energy transition. We've got similar opportunities in the other businesses. But I would say both in renewables and in power, as we see countries around the world migrate from coal and from nuclear, there are going to be opportunities. We're a leader in onshore wind today. We just aren't as profitable. We aren't generating positive cash. We have to manage that business better. Again, I think we are demonstrating that we are making progress in that regard. We think our gas business has an important role to play in support of the uh, the renewables as, as we move forward here, not only in terms of conventional uh, gas turbines today, but also as countries and companies around the world look to uh, find a role for hydrogen, which we have a tremendous and important experience in. So we have a number of different ways in which we can play the energy transition. Our leadership in onshore wind is, is first amongst them. We just need to uh, deliver better financial performance there, and we think that's possible. How are you doing versus Siemens and Philips in healthcare? And can you get segment margin from 16.8 up to, say, uh, 2025, which would really change the, the total mosaic of GE? Well, Jim, we have, uh, we have a couple of formidable competitors in, in healthcare, no doubt. Uh, but when we sold the biopharma business as part of our deleveraging earlier this year, what was left behind was a $17 billion leader in precision health. And when we talk about precision health, what we're really referencing there 
is personalized medicine, more efficient delivery uh, around the world. And we are as well positioned as any company to, uh, to do that. You saw double-digit organic growth in that business in the third quarter, healthy uh, operating margin expansion as well, just a, a, a standout quarter in that regard. There's going to be more margin expansion. I'm not sure we're ready to go to 20 or 25 percent, but I think over time, if we're able to grow in the low to, sing, low to mid single-digit range, knock out 25, call it 75 basis points of operating margin expansion per year, that's a business that's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, what about good old energy, uh, you know, onshore demand, uh, offshore deals as well? Uh, you know, we, we watch the price of oil declining right now. In fact, concerns about global growth. How are you managing that? Well, we don't have a lot of direct exposure there anymore, given the, uh, the transition away from, from Baker Hughes. We yep. still have our, our equity stake, but you know, we have uh, begun to, to, to move out of that. David, what our primary exposure is really in our, our, our gas power business, where our utilization of the installed base has been relatively consistent this year, uh, despite uh, COVID. We have seen some oil price pressure uh, playing out in our services business, particularly in upgrades, where we thought we had some upgrade opportunities, particularly in the Middle East. Given what's happened, uh, those opportunities have, uh, have faded a bit. So uh, we're not banking on those coming back anytime soon. But that's really where we have the, the most direct pressure from the, uh, the oil price dynamics sure. in our power segment. No, Larry, th- thank you so much. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who are banking on a turn. And I know that you've been uh, working around the clock to do so. It's great that you came on the show. It's always good to see you. Thank you. Carl? Dow session low, Jim, was uh, down 589. Not far from that, as we're getting some wire reports about uh, potential lockdown proposals out of France and Germany. Let's get to Rick Santelli this morning. Hey, Rick. Hello, Carl. We're looking at our fourth session down in yields. Here's four sessions of 10-year note yields. And right now we're down just a basis point and a half or so. But as the S&P's now hit down 2%, I would look for some of that contagion to move into uh, the Treasuries in the form of buying and safe harbor. Look at four sessions of Boons. I heard David talking about it earlier. Uh, If you do a a month-to-date of 10s for two weeks now, this is about the lowest yield should we close here. But going back to those Boons, they're now at seven-month low yields. That chart starts in March. And if we continue on the notion of the news you've just referenced regarding possible shutdowns in places like Germany, even though you know, there's a lot of debate as to whether shutdowns are the way to go, here's the DAX. The DAX is at the lowest level in nearly five months. That chart starts in May. And finally, we know there's safe harbor in treasuries and some of the other sovereign credits. But now look at the dollar. The dollar's usurping the euro. The euro has been on a slide. Here's a two-day of the dollar index in those two sessions. It's up nearly one cent. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, uh, Rick, thank you very much. Um, Jim, uh, Art Cashin says uh, early flush, uh, circling some wagons. Uh, 10.30 to 11, Europe close will be fun to watch. Um, your point is Microsoft may be the tell in the first part of the session. Yeah, I mean, look, we've got two markets going on. We've got this tech market, which a lot of people feel is beginning to implode. I disagree with that. Uh, and then we have the, the, the rest of whether the industrial market could take us out or whether the renovation market, look at Masco in a really good quarter, Sherwin-Williams. I see pockets of strength. I, I, I think uh, art is always 
making some really good points. We got to see the Europe close because Europe uh, is in panic mode right now. They really are in panic mode. And I think that Spain will follow in panic mode. Italy will follow in panic mode. I think that that's not the way we're approaching it here. I think we're approaching it that a lot of companies uh, have found ways to make money despite this. So, Carl, let's watch GE. I think the GE uh, maybe is a different GE. We did not. I'm going to listen to David's questions. My questions, they could have we could have just asked about nothing but aviation. Yeah. Instead, we asked about other businesses that we really haven't given a darn about. That's true. Well, he's controlling, again, what he can't control and sort of doing what he can on aviation. Right. But there are the other there are other businesses that are benefiting or yes. at least neutral. He mentioned hydrogen, David. I'm telling you, that's my theme. Although he's not doing green hydrogen, just so we know. Right. Carl, I mean, again, I'm focused on what these younger investors are interested in. And they need to see hydrogen. They need to see uh, less, less fossil fuel. They need to see wind. They love wind. I know our president is, what was it, the w- problem with the wind? Uh, it's two. It's uh, birds. It, windmills, cancer. unfortunately, do kill birds and then cancer. Yeah, um, but they're not as big. I mean, cats kill a lot more birds. They do? Some incredible number, like 2.4 billion it's, birds. Uh, the charts, it's mice. Off, literally, the cat, yeah. the cat cause of death is off the charts if you're comparing it. That was one of Carl's tweets that I see. I learned so much from That was yesterday. <laughs> it's um, like 2 billion birds. It's incredible. I know. Jonathan how about when the birds about around, that, How about when the birds killed Susan Pluchette? Uh, yeah, I always liked her. In the, <laughs> I always in the liked Newhart her, too. She, she really no, had it. She was the best. I, I know that's a little field. Jim, you did say you're a panicking. I, I think it's important to point out Germany has handled this. Uh, I mean, how many deaths are there in Germany? 10,000? No, but I'm saying a little that bit more overall. Y- they're uh, reacting. We have 28 times the deaths, something like that. But they're reacting as if, OK, listen, we got to go not just in lockdown mode, but we have got to shut whole places and I think that what will happen is, is that people will stop going out if there's no place to go to. How's that for a little Right, wizardry? but you described it as panic. Is well, it appropriate be, panic? Uh, I think that they're treating it as if we have nothing for COVID. Uh, and I'm not saying that everyone's going to take a couple of Regeneron and go out on the campaign trail. But I am saying that we are better with therapeutic. We are better uh, with a drip, with something for IV. We know how to handle people so that when they get to the hospital, it's not a catastrophic. That doesn't mean that with the numbers well, don't reflect that we could lose a lot of people. But I'm not yeah, I, I, mean, I don't want to be too positive. But uh, Jim, I mean, right now, the story is trying not to get to the hospital as capacity there gets a little tighter. Godly bond this morning uh, saying, I mean, saying basically what you've been advocating for months and that is masks. Yeah. They're <laughs> practically free. <laughs> and uh, whether you believe in the science or not, I mean, call it a hedge, right? A hedge that you won't have to go to the hospital. My mask initiative I'm doing with Mark Benioff through xprize.org slash mask is now being led by companies, by Honeywell, by 3M. It's being led by Under Armour. It's being led by companies that are taking the leadership mode. They have the National Association of Manufacturers, NAM, because they're not going to let the U.S. government be at their lassitude influence our country. And I salute those companies. I mean, the other day, someone said, what is business really doing? Well, you should see what 3M is doing. And I know Mike Roman had a tough day to stop, but he is determined determined to save lives through masks. And you know what? He's not going to let the government decide that people should die from not wearing masks. David, these companies are serious about developing mass because they know the government provides no leadership whatsoever when it comes to dying. There has been a lack of leadership, it would seem, on a, na- seem on a national level, although there's still frustration to a certain extent with 3M's, in a, the inability of consumers 
Jim, to get a hold of those masks. Well, there's not a national mask mandate, so to speak. We're yeah. going to change that, too. Do not give up on Oh, the there mask. is in Russia now. Russia. You saw Putin yesterday, uh, national mask mandate. Yeah. Yes. Did see so that. they moved on that front. death there. Um, I mean, yeah. Jim, what's on MAD tonight? Okay, I've got United Parcel, which is the subject of a dramatic decline. I think that's wrong. Mark Tritton, who is the subject of a dramatic decline. I think that's wrong. And Anthony Noto's company is private, so it's not subject to the dramatic decline. And what a stadium. Holy cow. I want to be one of the five people who goes to the next game. It is a nice stadium. There we go. I'm going to inject a little bit of positive thinking in an otherwise very gloomy day. Netflix is up. Oh, thank you, David. You're welcome. You never go yeah, out Yeah, and anywhere. 3M. 3M was up. Uh, look, and 3M, travelers. I was going with Mike Roman. Well, you, the sellers there are just pessimists. I'm done with pessimism. I'm going to neutrality. Really? All right, I'll stick with pessimism. There you go. All right, whatever. <laughs> Jim, we'll see you at 6. Uh, Mad Money, of course, at 6 p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 